Young, back to throw. In trouble, he's going to be sacked. No, gets away. He runs, gets away again, goes to the 40, gets away again, to the 35, cuts back at the 30, to the 20, the 50, the 10. He dies. Touchdown, 49ers. Hey, what's going on, everybody? It's the 49ers Web Zone No Huddle Podcast. Zane Nackley here with Al Sacco. And for the first time, Al, for the first time since we've been doing this, we can say that the 49ers have won the week that we're doing a podcast. I mean, it, it's one win, but it feels so good. And the preseason wins don't count, but it just felt so good to get off the schneid, so to speak. It's so good to, to finally remember what it feels like to win a game. And I think it's a, a step in the right direction, but just that celebration after the game, man, I mean, that was, that was crazy, wasn't it? Yeah, and it's a big win because, listen, no one wants 0-16. Kyle Shanahan doesn't want 0-16. John Lynch doesn't want 0-16. And, and, you know, you could talk about, well, wins don't matter at this point because the season's lost. Wins do matter in the sense that, one, 0-16 never goes away. If this team didn't win any games, that 0-16 is, is always there. And if they did go 0-16 this, this season, it actually would have tied the 08-09 Detroit Lions for the worst two-year record. It would have been 2-30 and in the modern era. And, I mean, the Browns will probably get there, too, this year. Um, but so no one wanted that, that mark on their records. And the second reason why this is so big is the young players on this team need to learn how to win. They need to learn how to close out games. They, they need to, to taste this, and, and, and hopefully they'll taste it again another couple times. But, yeah, like you said, Zane, that, 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 that win felt good. That was a big one. Yeah, and it seemed like we finally saw them have a complete game, and and they didn't take a lot of penalties. They didn't give up very many. They didn't give up very many pressures on CJ Beathard. There weren't very many drops. The they did turn the ball over twice, but the defense was able to to account for that. And it was it was a complete win. And you kind of got the sense that this is what it's supposed to look like, and it's kind of a sneak peek into the future. And it kind of flipped the script on how the 49ers are, are perceived now a little bit because there's much more optimism around the team and, and in, in general with, uh, with the team going forward. Now, our guest today that we're going to talk to, he's a former 49ers, former Super Bowl champion, Dexter Carter. So he's, a, he's one of those guys that was around for the glory days. And he's one of those guys that knows what it takes to win. So obviously those teams of the, the 90s, the 49ers teams in the 90s didn't have any years like this. but Dexter still had a lot of good insight to what we didn't see that went on behind the scenes. And I, I thought like, I thought this was a great interview and I can speak for you. Alan. We, we were just like talking about this after, after the interview, we're like, man, that was, that was awesome. So um, without further ado, here's Dexter Carter. And our guest played seven seasons with the 49ers and was the team's first round pick in 1990. Please welcome Super Bowl champion number 35, Dexter Carter. Dexter, thanks so much for being here, man. Hey, Al and Zane, it's a pleasure being with you guys, man, and joining you on the 49er Web Zone. Looking forward to it. Yeah, thank you, man. And we kind of got a little bit of a streak going. We had Derek Deese on last week, so we got a streak of Super Bowl champions here, right? So it's like we're two for two, right, in the last two weeks. <laughs> Absolutely. And Derek, Derek Deese, man, a great offensive lineman when I played, a great friend, and I'm sure he did a great job on the show. Yeah, it was great. Awesome stuff. Um, so kind of diving right into it, Dexter, we wanted to, to kind of start off with your first, first year in the league and you came to a team that was coming off back-to-back Super Bowl wins and they were kind of primed for another. And we're kind of wondering what it was like to be the new guy coming in with high expectations on that team. Did you feel pressure or was it more like this team's so good? I can kind of take my time and develop my game. That is a very, very good question to start out with because 
coming into the league my first year, as you stated, back-to-back Super Bowl champions, and actually was, I believe I was George Seifert's first first-round draft pick or the second one, mm-hmm. but I think that was his first year. But nonetheless, um, coming out of Florida State at 5'9", 170 pounds, uh, I think a lot of people looked at it as the 49ers were drafting as a luxury because they really didn't need anything. At every position, they were loaded. They were coming off back-to-back Super Bowls and primed for a third, which, ironically, we went to the NFC Championship game that year. Um, and uh, uh, there's always pressure when you're changing jobs. There's pressure when you're changing, um, you know, in sports, you know, going from high school to college, college to the pros. So there was a pressure, but a pressure that was no different in my opinion, although it's on the professional level, but coming out of high school in South Georgia and going to Florida State, you know, the year after they had the number one recruiting class in the country with Deion Sanders and Sammy Smith, you know, and those guys. So there was pressure there too, and I played as a true freshman. So um, it was very, very similar, but it allowed me to come in, and I knew Roger Craig was there, so it didn't put a whole lot of pressure on me. There was Joe Montana, you know, there, and Jerry Rice and John Taylor outside and Brent Jones, they're tight end and I can keep on throwing names out there of how solid that team was, but mm-hmm. allowing me to come in and really my first year, I didn't even do punt returns. I didn't do punt returns until my four, third or fourth year. And I was second in the league when I did it, but kickoff returns was what I started out. And then around the sixth, seventh game of the season, Roger Craig got hurt. And through training camp, I had worked my way up from, about five or six deep on the depth chart up to 17 behind Roger. And when Roger got hurt, then it forced me into the starting lineup. And first game starting on Monday Night Football, um, I guess you can take these results and realize how nervous I was or I wasn't. But I had uh, 124 yards rushing Mm -hmm. um, on Monday Night Football, had my first NFL touchdown. So, I went on to lead the team in rushing as a rookie. You know, I didn't kill the stats that year, but I led the team in rushing. So, um, but it still was nervous as there as a first year guy. Um, but nothing abnormal. But uh I had a great obviously there was a great team there that allowed me to uh not feel the pressure until I really got in there as a starter, but but you know, I handled it. I had that kind of pressure at Florida State, but it was great. It was great. It wasn't. It wasn't terribly uh, bad. I thought it was a great, great experience being in San Francisco and just having those teammates around me that made me feel comfortable. And Dexter, you made such an impact as a return man during your time in the league, and you're actually second all time in Forty ers history in kick return yards, in fourth all time in punt return yards, and, and, you, and you scored four touchdowns too, return wise. When you look back at your career, what does it mean to you that you were really one of the top return men in the history of the 49ers, such, such a great franchise? You know what? I'm so thankful that you mentioned that because it kind of puts things in perspective. And, you know, I knew I was up there. I didn't realize exactly where I was. But um, those numbers really, you know, I hope validates the career that I did have. And trust me, it, it means the world to me because, in my opinion, the most storied organization, um, the dynasty that the 49ers had at that time in that era of the NFL 
and the greatest owner in team sports, in my opinion, um, to be included in that 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 you just said, uh, it, it it truly means a lot to me. And uh, as far as you know, my work ethic, the time that I put in, and and uh, and being able to do what I did at you know five nine one hundred seventy pounds in the league of giants, so. Um, it's very, very special to me back then and very, very special to me today. So I appreciate you uh, pointing that out. It means a lot. And, and you know, and one thing, too, is uh, in 1996, which was my last season with the 49ers, it was the, um, uh, I believe it was the 50th anniversary of the 49ers. And they selected the media, the team, um, uh, but they had a number of areas or people that selected an all-time team. And, you know, of course, Joe was at quarterback. Uh, Jerry was at the receiver's position. But they voted me on the 50th anniversary all-time uh, team as a returner. And they gave us a commemorative ring that I still obviously have today. That means, you know, the Super Bowl, not many people, very few guys that even play in the NFL get it. And that means, a lot to me, but that all-time team ring that they presented to us means a lot because it put in perspective again that they thought I was one of the top return guys in the history. So um, it was very, very, very special, and I don't really have any uh, <laughs> greater words to say than what I've already said about it. It's just wonderful. Now you were one of those guys that was kind of there for the transition from the the teams of the late '80s to the teams of the '90s. You played from '90 to '96 with the Niners, so that means you were there from the transition from Joe Montana to Steve Young. What do you kind of remember from that time? Is was there any real divide in locker room about who should have been quarterback once Joe was kind of healthy and ready to go at the end of at that '92 season? Oh, I tell you what, man, you guys you guys got some great questions. <laughs> and here, uh, you know, and I'm, I'm, I'm working on a book and, you know, in writing a book, you've got to be, you know, like an analyst, you've got to be objective, you mm -hmm. know, about what you say, but you got to be truthful. Um, because those that were around know the truth. There are two major things in my life that I think I was a part of two great transitions. Um, the very first one was obviously, as you mentioned, Joe Montana and the Steve Young transition, which I'm going to get to and go in detail with. But the other one was uh, the transition from Bobby Bowden to Jimbo Fisher. Because mm -hmm. I was on that, I was on that staff. Coach Bowden hired me in 2007 uh, as the running backs coach, and he hired Jimbo as the offensive coordinator. So we worked together for three years until, and then the transition occurred. But after the very first year, uh, you know, is when pretty much what I experienced with Joe and Steve started happening there, you know, with Bobby and Jimbo Fisher. So that's a story in itself. But, but I tell you, Joe, um, first of all, I was in awe of Joe. And my locker was right beside him. Mm -hmm. I was in eighth grade. I was in eighth grade when Joe was in the NFL. So that's a big, big deal to me. Right, right. <laughs> but, um, but, but, but that very first year, seeing Joe lead us to the NFC Championship game, as he's done uh, four times prior in Super Bowls, it was awesome. Everything that I thought it would be or what I thought Joe was came to fruition for me. 
and then to see a guy sitting behind him that had been waiting this time and not really knowing what was going on behind the scenes before I got there, you know, but, but he was, you know, anxious to get his opportunity. And I was just telling this story tonight at my 11 year old's semi, um, uh, uh, semi, uh, playoff championship game tonight. Uh, and, and, and I said, um, uh, uh, Al, I just had one of those moments. I call it a concussion moment when you have the thought around the tip of your tongue and you totally forget what you were saying. So I'm going to ask you, tell me, what, what, where was I? And then I can pick up where I was. So you're kind of talking about Steve Young and, uh, oh, yeah. and yeah, how, how he was kind of an unknown an unknown sort of variable. Yes. Yes. Well, um, in the NFC championship game that year, I, oh, I was telling this story. I said in the NFC championship game, Joe rolled out to his right and Leonard Marshall barreled down on him. And I, we all were on our sideline. Joe was running to our sideline and he stopped to throw the ball downfield and Leonard Marshall hit him right in the back. And that's when his back problems, you know, were exacerbated. Well, that's when that offseason, um, you know, the 49ers had decided whether Joe came back healthy or not, they were going to make the transition to Steve. Now, it didn't help the situation that Joe actually worked his butt off and came back mm-hmm. earlier than what they anticipated. But then it didn't help the fact that Steve won NFL MVP <laughs> in his right. first year. Mm-hmm. Um, so it made it very, it kind of validated what the 49ers wanted to do. But how do you tell Joe Montana, it's time to go, we're going to replace you? And that taught me something early on that, because uh, I, I, I experienced it with Joe and Ronnie that first year, then Roger, I believe, that second year. And it taught me that, you know, at some point, they, the team decides when you're too old. And Joe mm-hmm. proved. Well, they all really proved because they all went to different teams and actually had a few more years of really, really good football. But, um, but, but I remember when Joe came back and he was ready to play. And this is, a, this is one of those stories that goes in the book, but I'm going to tell it anyway because, you know, we're, what, 20 years later. And you know what? And I'm, hey, it's nothing that we don't already know. But, um, but I remember uh, Steve was a little apprehensive, nervous a little bit, you know, having, you know, the great Joe look over his shoulder. Um, and this is from my eyes and the way I interpreted it, because when Joe got healthy enough, I expected, just like everyone else expected, Joe to come out to practice and either be a backup or fight for the starting job. And Joe mm-hmm. never came out to practice, but he was healthy. And mm-hmm. he would go out and he would, but he would go out and practice in between our walkthrough, which was about 11 in the morning, and then our practice in the afternoon, which was about three. And Jerry would always go out with him and catch his passes. And mm-hmm. I'm like, why, why wouldn't he, you know, why wouldn't they let him come out and practice with us? And 
And, you know, the word, you know, around the locker room was, you know, and we love Steve, don't get us wrong, because Steve is a great quarterback in his own right. But at the end of the day, it's not anything that wasn't being talked about across the country at that time. They just didn't know the inward uh, talks and uh, actions that were going on. But um, come to find out from what we heard was that Steve didn't feel comfortable with Joe out there. So that made me think, dang, this is the great Joe Montana. Mm-hmm. And they won't let him on the practice field because the starter now, you know, don't, doesn't feel comfortable. Now, they're both great 49er quarterbacks and would be etched in the history of what that our storage franchise has been able to do, you know, but, uh, and it's so, I'm so happy to see Joe back into the fold, you know, um, after his Kansas city, uh, uh, time there. But I think it takes years, the same way it did with Bobby Bowden at Florida state. It takes years, you know, for things to settle down and, you know, and, 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 and bad feelings to, you know, move on. Um, and that's what it was there with the 49ers. There were some bad feelings because many thought Joe, if Joe could still play, Joe should be the guy. But Steve did a great job coming in and performing the way he did, you know, win league MVP. So it was hard to take the job back from him. And when we won the Super Bowl in 94, that's special to me because I won it with Steve. You know, mm-hmm. but if you're if you remember on the sideline that night, Steve, talked about, hey, take the monkey off my back because that's how important that night was to him. He had to win the Super Bowl to finally create his spot in the NFL history books or the 49er history books that wasn't there before. No matter how many NFL MVPs he won, he didn't win the big one, and Joe won it four times. But it only took Steve Wynn that won to really make his mark. So I was proud of him. You know, but I'm happy that I had a great experience with, you know, Joe and Steve and that entire team that I played with. You know, there's only two guys that, you know, you can ask me this question later, and I'm trying to give you a little filler here. There's only <laughs> two guys, two guys that, you know, I had issues with there. Every other person was a blast to work with. I'm talking about from the front office to, to the players. But, you know, and one guy was worse than the other. But, you know, if you want to hear about that, you can ask me about it and I'll tell you. Well, we got to follow up with that, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. So, who, who was it? Who those guys, Dexter, that you were uh, maybe weren't so, so great teammates at the time? Okay, well, I, you know, and, you know, and, and, you know, from a professional perspective, we had to be great teammates. But they made it very, very difficult. I'm going to tell you the one that made it least that, that, that wasn't the worst. He was the second. He was second in line, you know, and a great, great, great player has more Super Bowl rings than anybody. I know what you're going to say. Uh-huh. But, but, but at least we know now why he was the way he was. But Charles Haley didn't care who you were. He didn't care if you were a rookie and he didn't think he didn't care if you were Joe Montana. He would give it to you verbally. He would, I mean, you know, if he wasn't picking on you, you were happy he didn't, and you would think it was funny. 
I saw him. I saw him get on Joe Montana. Joe was very good at ignoring him, though. Mm-hmm. But there was one guy that nobody messed with, and Charles didn't even mess with him. And when he messed with him, two weeks later, he was gone. And when I say gone, he was given away to Dallas. Right. Our best defensive player, mm-hmm. and he was given away to Dallas, who at the end of the day, you know, helped take three rings off of my fingers. <laughs> you right. know, mm-hmm. I could have had three more Super Bowl rings, but but Charles Haley was oh my goodness. He was like that when he was fifteen years old. But mm-hmm. now all these years later we find out why he was that way. Because he would come to work some days. And he literally, it looked like he didn't get any sleep. He wouldn't say a thing to you, to nobody. And come to find out, he was, he was taking Ritalin. Because mm-hmm. back then, they had diagnosed him with hyperactivity. But now, 25 plus years later, that diagnosis, which they didn't know back then, was bipolar. Mm-hmm. And and now they've got it under control. You know, I I see him every year at the DeBartolo Family Foundation event in Tampa. And, you know, he's still the laughable Charles Haley, have a good time. But but I am so happy for him that they've got that under control because it was bad. It was bad. But the day that he went at Jerry Rice and Jerry went back at him, what oh, transpired man. in that what transpired in that locker room that morning led to two weeks later the 49ers literally giving Charles away to their wow. toughest competitor. Wow. You know. So that kind of tells you, oh my God, you know, what did he do? You mm-hmm. know, there's a little bit there's a little bit more to that story that I can't share on the air. But nonetheless, <laughs> nonetheless, it's a true story. Anybody who may hear what I say, it's nothing negative. You know, it's not saying anything bad about the 49 organization. It's not saying anything bad about Charles. It's just saying that, you know what, we gave literally the best NFL defensive player away to our toughest competitor because mm-hmm. he messed with the wrong guy, <laughs> you know. Now, I'm sure, the, you know, Jerry and Steve are, they, they're okay today. I mean, you know, but I'm sorry. Jerry and um, Charles are okay today, but back then you couldn't mess with Jerry. You know, now now to get to the guy that I really have no love for today, and I say that because here we are. Nine, let's see, almost what nine? Let's see, ninety. 2000, 2010, we're talking about almost 28 years later. And I was looking at ESPN, um, and what's the radio show of one of the top? Mike, Mike and Mike? Not Mike. Mike and Mike, he's a single, he, he, he and a girl. Oh, it's a call, was it Colin Coward? Yes, that one, The Herd. Yeah. My brother calls me and he says, hey, Dexter. Hey man, look at this. He sent me, and I'm like, "Are you serious? This guy is still talking about this after almost 30 years." Oh. so let me tell you what happened. The guy is 
Bill Romanowski. Oh, I'm kind of shocked Romanowski, at all. Yeah, it doesn't surprise me. Exactly. Now, Bill Romanowski understand. everybody understands the dude was a step ahead of the NFL when it came to steroids. Mm-hmm. So we can, we can make excuses and say, hey, he was like that because, you know, you know how they say that makes you angry, makes you do things. Well, I do believe that, but there were other guys, a few other guys on the 49ers that did steroids too, and they weren't like that. Now, um, every training camp, every training camp, you know, the 49ers and during the season, we never practice in pads. You know, we never practice in pads, but during training camp, for about two weeks, we practice in pads and we hit. Every single training camp I was in with Bill Romanowski, I was voted at least four times, four years. I was, I was the best blocking back because one, I, man, I was squatting 600 and some pounds in high school. So that's where my strength came from. So as a small back, I, I understood leverage and balance. Now, would he, would a big guy run over me eventually? Yes. But the quarterback only needs about two and a half seconds, you know, and he needs to step up or step out of the pocket. Well, in training camp, when we would block each other, uh, he would always pick a fight with me. Every training camp. Mm-hmm. Now, it never rolled over into the season until 19, I think, 94. You're going to think this story is funny. And the first I heard about this story after our, my time was done with the 49ers was 2007. And I'm coaching the running backs at Florida State, and one of my players come in, and he's got Bill Romanowski's book. And he says, hey, coach, hey, what's up with this right here? And I'm like, what are you talking about? He says, uh, man, Bill Romanowski tells this story about you and him getting in a fight in the locker room, and he threw – a microwave at you. What? And I, <laughs> yes, yes. Oh, not only that, but he choked me. Oh my now, gosh. Exactly. Now, I've seen Bill Romanowski twice since then. I saw him at a DeBartolo event and I totally uh, pretended I didn't know anything about it because I'm not the confrontational one, right? Then the second time was at the Hall of Fame Last year or two years ago when Mr. D got inducted into the Hall of Fame, we were at the Hall of, uh, his Hall of Fame party, and I totally ignored him the whole night. The third time was at the DeBartolo event this year, and this was the first time after the ESPN uh, 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 interview he was on. Now, that time it really bothered me. Because I'm like, we're talking about 30 years later, and this dude is still telling this lie. And this is what he said. Now, I'm going to tell you what happened, but I'm also tell you what he said at the same time. In our lounge, we have, back then, we had one microwave. Three people usually use it at the same time. You know, you could put three sandwiches in there, and it works. Well, we've done it always. Well, this one day, I walk in there, you know, guys are in the lounge, you know, chilling, watching TV, and um, I open it up, and there's another sandwich in there. I don't know whose it is. I just put mine in there, and as usual, we reset it and turn it on. Mm -hmm. 
So Bill looks at me. I look to my left, and Bill says, hey, what are you doing? And I said, I'm putting my sandwich in the microwave. He said, well, I don't want it in there with mine. So he opens it up, takes it out. Well, I open it up, and I take and I put it back in. Now, before I could let go of the handle with my left hand, Bill is to my left. There's two round tables. Uh, there's round tables all around us, and two behind me, or to the side of me, and a wall. So, Bill, when I put it back in there, before I could close it, Bill does attack me. Now, that is true. He does, you know, he's about, what, six, four? I'm five, nine. So he does, he does get me around the neck area, but he, but he, but it's a push. It's an attack. So immediately I fall back on a round table. Okay. As I fall back, the microwave door comes off in my hand. By the time I fall back, there's other players already intervening, breaking it up. So, you know what I'm saying? So it's not really, it's a big deal, but there, there's no advantage at this point. Mm-hmm. But when they, but when they pull him off of me, I'm, I'm pissed off because my father, mm-hmm. my late father name is Levy Carter and you don't mess with Levy Carter. Okay. <laughs> so <laughs> a little Levy came out in me. So I, uh, through the microwave door at him and I tried to get a chair and throw at him, but the guys grabbed me. So there was no microwave thrown at anybody and it was literally stopped. Well, within moments, within five minutes, it gets up to George Seifert and George Seifert calls us up to his office. Now, this is what happened during the fight. Okay. He didn't want my sandwich in there. I put it back in there. He did attack me. As he pushed me back on the table, it was aggressive. He broke a gold chain that I had, you know. Now, he didn't necessarily choke me, but his hands were around my throat area, but it was broken up. We go up to George Seifert, and George, this is what George says to Bill. He says, Bill, what is your problem? He said, you always seem to have an issue with Dexter in training camp, but this is the first time it's ever come off the field, you know. So George even noticed what the issue was. He said, you know what? It stops here. We're not going to do this again. And it never, ever happened again. Mm -hmm. The issue with Bill is this. Bill is going around the country still after 30 years telling people, one, he, he, by by the way, um, go on YouTube. If you look up Dexter Carter, it comes up. And Bill is on there literally about five months ago, telling the story saying that he threw a microwave at me and he picked me up and choked me up against a wall is what he's saying. So the story kind of has been fantasized since back in the day. But this is what he said on the herd that really pissed me off. Anybody who played with the 49ers, anybody who, who um, knows how the 49ers practice know that during the season, we never practice in pads which means you don't tackle. You don't do any of that. The reason it came up on the herd is because he said, um, evidently, two teammates must have gotten into it in practice. And he said, hey, how is it 
to get over something when you've had an issue with a teammate. And he said, oh, he said, oh, no, when it comes to players, we're boys. You know, hey, we fight, then we get over it and we move on. He said, one day I, I threw a microwave at Dexter Carter and picked him up and choked him. And you know what? I went out to practice that day and I had three sacks. I had two interceptions. Hey, didn't bother me. You know, like it was a joke. Mm-hmm. And right there he's lying because, one, how could he have sacks when we don't even practice in pads? He could have had a couple of interceptions, but I doubt it. So I hope he hears this show because I got a lot of love for him. <laughs> you know, but that's my hey, – he is the only one of the 49ers to me that, one, just was a jerk. But it's interesting that if you, if you go and Google Bill Romanowski or you ask anybody about him, the feelings I'm sharing is no different. Right. The dude has issues. Mm-hmm. He has issues. Mm-hmm. But nonetheless, I'm a, I'm, a, I'm, I'm, a, hey, I'm a happy 49er for life, and I love what we did this past week. I'm glad we got a win. And hopefully we can talk just a little bit even about that because that's more important. But nonetheless, hey, Dexter Carter is a 49er, and you wanted to know about me a little bit here going in, you know, in my future and about my experiences, and I wanted to share a little bit of it with you. Man, that was so good. I mean, I, I don't know what I don't know how we can follow that up. I mean, like, do I even want to ask like the the, the rest of the questions, man? I mean, Dexter, that was so good. Like, man, that was that was awesome. But but we do have to, as you said, we do have to talk about what what happened this past week. And the 49ers got their first win, the first win for Kyle Shanahan, first win for John Lynch, first win for, for CJ Beathard. And I kind of want to talk about the the running backs because obviously that's you know that's kind of your area of expertise. And with some of the injuries that uh, the 49ers have had, it's been kind of tough to get a read on some guys, especially along the offensive line. It's, it's kind of tough to get a read on the running backs. Do you feel like they should extend Carlos Hyde, or does, does paying a running back maybe not make sense considering Shanahan's system is so running back friendly? Um, you know what? It's running back friendly, but I think you need a good running back. If you look at Atlanta, they had two good running backs, Coleman and Devontae Freeman. So you need two good running backs. And I'm going to tell you, I like Matt Breida. I mean, he's a heck of a receiver out of the backfield and, you know, was a very productive back at Georgia Southern. So I think, you know, Matt Breida is going to be very, very valuable to the 49ers moving forward. And I think Carlos Hyde. Um, now, the one thing that I worried about Carlos Hyde moving forward, and I hadn't decided whether it will be, you know, relevant, are very important to bring him back, but I think he's a good back. I wanted to see him with that offensive line being suspect in the way that it's been. I wanted to see him be productive without that because there are times when you got to do it yourself. You've got to be able to be productive and, you know, and gain four yards of carry. I hadn't seen that in him yet. Now, I do know the offensive line has had its issues. Um, so I do like him, and I think, the, I think the 49ers have two backs that they can move forward in the future. I'm not giving up on Carlos Hyde yet. He's needed to stay healthy, and if he stays healthy, I think he can be productive. Now, this game, I was very impressed. Now, Joe, now Stan, Joe Stanley coming back 
really must have inspired that offensive line because they, they, they were probably the most productive they've been all season. And Carlos Hyde, you know, had a productive game. So um, I'm not going to throw Carlos Hyde out to the Wolves right now. I think he's a good back, and I think we just need to show up that offensive line um, and help get Joe Stanley some help. And, um, you know, uh, uh, I think we, we brought in uh, our son, who I think is a good receiver, you know, hope to get him back and healthy. But if you can uh, continue to develop the young wide receivers you have and get a good, you know, maybe, you know, you can find some good receivers uh, that don't necessarily have to come in the first and second round. You can find some good receivers, some good players in general, mm-hmm. third round on, on down. So I wouldn't go giving away our running game, you know, our running backs, because I do think Shanahan is the right coach. I do think um, not only Lynch, but I think Martin Mayhew, Martin Mayhew, who, who they brought in to assist John Lynch, was a very valuable move in a talent evaluation perspective. I think they have a great front office staff right now to make decisions to bring in the right talent and put you know people in the right position. So um, this game here, I'm glad that we finally won. I wasn't sure if we were going to win it. I wouldn't have picked the 49ers, but I'm glad that we did win because, one, I think winning this game was more important than losing and getting the first overall pick because the the value of the picks, right now I think the 49ers may pick second, I believe. Mm -hmm. I think, um, and and I'm getting off of what you talked about uh, uh, for a second, but I'm just talking about overall. I think uh, our defensive line, I think, is what, this is how I see the 49ers, and this is the kind of moves they need to make. If they can do what the Jacksonville Jaguars did the last two off seasons, I, I think they would have the productivity Jacksonville is having this year. Now, it, are the Jacksonville Jaguars off the chain, you know, blowing everybody away? No. But they went out and they got the best player of value at their draft pick, which was Jalen Ramsey. Right now, we need to get whoever we can who is the best player available at the second pick, who I think is a position that we need. Our secondary, uh, uh, I mean, especially that corner, is struggling. We've had some good young players that never seem to develop, um, and I don't think um, Derwin James is a corner, but Derwin James is an NFL player that they can play in multiple positions on, up on the line in the secondary, and he's an NFL body. He's an NFL player right now. I think, you know, and I think at the second pick, I think Derwin James is the guy for the 49ers. So if, we can, if you get Derwin James to go with that young linebacker group, I think Foster is the future. I mm-hmm. think he is. The, I think he is the guy there. I think that defensive line, honestly, you give them – Another year, and if they stay healthy, Harrison and all those young guys, I think they're going to be one of the top five defensive unit line units in the entire league. So if we can, I think, shore up the offensive line, shore up that defensive backfield, um, stay healthy, uh, get, you know, uh, I think you still need uh, a good uh, top tier number one receiver, whether it's free agency, you know, or a young guy coming out in the draft. 
Um, I think Garoppolo, nobody saw it coming. I know I didn't. You know, I was putting my money on Beathard to get just more development, more time, and I felt like he could be a good player. And I think he still would be a good quality backup, only because Garoppolo is the real deal. And I don't think you throw him in there right now. You know, there's a bye week this week. So maybe you do, since we got a little momentum going, you know. But Mm -hmm. that offensive line is the offensive line it is. Yeah, they played well this week with Joe Stanley back. But do you really want to put Garoppolo in there and then, you know, we don't perform up to the way that we should and Garoppolo looks terrible? And then people start thinking, oh, what do we do? You know, you put him in it. Yeah, I'm going to leave it up to Kyle because, Kyle, I trust him. You know, as long as we run the ball more than, you know, you know, we're up by 28 points, let's run the ball, use the clock up a little bit, <laughs> you know. I trust Kyle and what he's doing, and I surely trust in what they did bringing in the quarterback of the future. So I think that's the template for getting the 49ers back where they need to be because the system that Kyle has is the system that he's made work everywhere he's been, and he's going to make it work here. And I'm looking forward to, you know, the future of the 49ers with what uh, Shanahan, you know, is able to do. In Dexter, before we let you go, um, one, we got to have you back on because this was amazing. So <laughs> we'll have to have you back on the show at some point. But tell the listeners okay. about your podcast, The Grueling Truth, um, where they can find it and what it's all about. Oh, yeah. The Grueling Truth, 49 Weekly Show um, with Matt Andrews-Gavage and, um, and myself. Uh, you can find it on iHeart. You can find it on iTunes. You can find it you know, on Facebook, um, uh, all social media, Instagram. Uh, well, well, not Instagram, but uh, Twitter. So, um, you know, we do the show once a week. We This is our third year. Uh, it's been great. Got to have you guys on the show and talk 49er football. But, you know, Absolutely. it's been wonderful. So, you know, make sure you, you know, catch this show and catch our show. And, you know, uh, they're both great 49er shows. And, we're, we're, hey, we're all, you know, looking for the 49ers to get back to their winning ways and, you know, and back to the Super Bowl, and uh, and we'll still be on doing the show, being objective, uh, being truthful, you know, and 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 holding, you know, everyone accountable. Because even myself, you know, uh, no NFL player, no quarterback can throw, you know, play an entire career or a season or a game, you know, without you can't make perfect decisions all the time. So you know, I expect to be scrutinized if I don't play well. And we have to be objective, whether you're a former player or not. You got to be objective in these situations, you know. But uh, I'm just—I just use all of my experiences, and you know, I'm a high school coach right now. Um, we actually, you know, planning the second round of the playoffs here in the state of Georgia, six uh, A football this Friday. So you know, I'm always evaluating. I'm always, you know, trying to see how we can do things better and. You know, I've got a son that's a freshman at Georgia Southern that uh, uh, he's a flanker, Dexter Carter Jr. Just look out for him in the future. Maybe he'll be a 49er. But anyway, Mm -hmm. hey, I love what I do. Um, You know, I love being around this game that has been so good to me. Um, One day we've got to, you got to have me on the show and just go into a little bit more about, you know, uh, my time 
away from the game, you know, going through, you know, some of the concussion issue things and going through, you know, the first 10 years I was out of the NFL, you know, I had 17 knee surgeries on a, on my left knee that I had an ACL repair in my second year of the league and ended up at 35 with a knee replacement. So, you know, although I love this game, you know, and there's things that we all go through, you know, those are some of the stories that I love to share with you one day, you know, um, but I've got three boys. Uh, uh, well, I've got more than three boys, but I'm just focusing on the boys because it's football and a uh, nine-year-old, 11-year-old and 20-year-old. And you know what? And I don't stop them from playing the game. I just make sure the game is taught safe. I know helmets are better these days. I know teaching techniques of blocking, tackling, all of that, you know, is better these days. So I'm not going to discourage them from playing. If they don't want to play, I'm not going to force them to play. But um, one thing I do, and this is for all the parents out there, don't, don't, uh, don't allow or make your kids play one sport, you know, uh, whether it's baseball, football, soccer, whatever, you know, let them venture around like mine they play basketball baseball football you know lacrosse all of that and then when they get old enough let them decide what sport they want to play and you know a lot of people don't let their kids play football now because of the concussions but you know i just try to teach the safest way to play the game and if they love the game then you know i'm not going to deprive them from playing the this great game man such such great stuff dexter uh, i mean this is this has been so enlightening for both me and Al. I can speak for Al on this one too. Like being 49ers fans growing up, and and you know one of the fondest memories I have had for my childhood was you guys winning that Super Bowl against the Chargers at the end of the '94 season. And I was only 10 years old, but that that stuff sticks with you for a lifetime. So you know, thank you for putting your body on the line for all of us, and thank you for for putting everything into the into this game. And uh, man, we got to do this again sometime. Absolutely. Hey, I appreciate you guys having me on the show and I appreciate you guys being lifelong fans, you know, at 10 years old, man, that is awesome to, that's why you never, you know, always teach, you know, kids, Hey, you know, there's nothing more important than developing relationships. You know, I got an MBA, I got a bachelor's degree in early, uh, uh, childhood development. Um, you know, you can have all the degrees you want, but if you want to develop relationships through the course of your life, you know, it doesn't mean anything because people are going to hire whom they work with, whom they know, you know, whom know what they're doing. Uh, so develop those relationships. And for you to be 10 years old watching us play in the Super Bowl and all these years later, you know, we're doing a, I'm on your show. You know, you mm -hmm. never know. That's why you treat people with respect. You, you treat them with dignity and, um, you know, and just do the best you can in life to treat people as you wish to be treated. So, um, it's a pleasure being with you guys. I look forward to being on your show again and having you all mine. And hey, mm -hmm. we're 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 lifelong friends now. Absolutely awesome, Absolutely. awesome stuff. Thank you so much, Dexter. Appreciate it, man. Let's talk soon. Thanks, Dexter. You guys have a great evening. You too. Thanks, thank you. Too. Bye bye. And thank you very much again to Dexter Carter. And man, wow, like the the stuff that he just dropped in that in that interview, Al. I mean, that was that was some really really good stuff. And the guys that we've had on, the former players, Gary Plummer, Derek Dees, Dexter Carter, they've all been very honest with us. Um, they've all been very forthcoming, which is great. And Dexter might have been the most honest of them all. And I still feel, you know, Zane and I had more questions we wanted to ask him. We ran out of time. And we're going to have to have him back on, on the show or, or if we end up going on his show. But so much more to talk about. 
Um, he was just so forthright with, uh, with us. Um, told us so much great behind the scenes information. And there is a lot more to talk about when we talk to him next time, Zane, I, I do want to ask him about his life after football and that sort of thing. So definitely a guest that you can expect to have back on the show. Yeah, absolutely. And he was actually the first guy to, uh, to touch the football in the 49ers last Super Bowl win in Super Bowl 29. He returned the kick. He returned the opening kickoff. So yeah, that's, that's kind of a cool little tidbit too, that he was the actual, he was actually the first guy from the 49ers to, to possess the ball uh, in that, in that game. Um, but would love to, love to have love to have him back on. Great guest. Now, kind of switching gears to the victory, and we haven't been able to say that at all this year. So, huh. switching gears to this victory uh, that the 49ers had on Sunday against the, the Giants, a lot went right for the 49ers. It feels like they really understood. It seems like they really understood what was at stake, and I don't think anybody wanted to go in 16 and they kind of stepped up to the plate and, and they give them, give them credit. I mean, they're playing their guts out. I know it was against the giants and I know the giants aren't They're They're probably near the bottom of the league. If, if not at the bottom of the league now, but that being said, the 49ers did what they had to do and they went out and they won a game. So is this just one game Al, or do you think that this is kind of the start of what we're really expecting to see from this team? Well, I, I think they're too beat up to really sustain what they did in week 10, but what you want to see now, and, and John Lynch alluded to this too, is you want to see them start to lay the groundwork now for 2018. So the things that we saw in this game that really started to happen, first and foremost, well, we mentioned was a complete game. One of the ways you're complete on offense is when your offensive line plays well. And this was the best game that the O-line played all season for sure. And you saw it, you know, it, it helped the passing game, it, it helped the running game. And you saw some of these young guys on offense, and we'll get into the defensive side of the ball too, but some of these young guys on offense really start to contribute. Matt Breida, who's had some nice moments, he, he had a good game. Kendrick Bourne, three, three catches. He, he was mm-hmm. making big catches all, all game. And of course, C.J. Beathard, who, who to me is the story of the game with the way that he played. He was sensational. Mm-hmm. He hit eight different receivers in this game, spread the, ball, spread the ball all over the place. He was in control. He was poised. He just played absolutely fantastic. Other than that one screen pass, whatever, that stuff happens. Now you can say, okay, were the Giants playing? Uh, yeah. <laughs> maybe seven or eight of the guys on defense were, but you know what? You play against who you line up against. That's yeah. that's what happens. And in Bethard's a third round rookie who's making his fourth start on a team that's decimated by injuries with rookies all over the place, and he played terrific. And he's a tough guy, and I'm happy for him. He deserved a performance like this. He did, and and he kind of. It's it's interesting because we're we're kind of seeing him grow before our before our eyes. Like every week that he starts, he seems a little bit more comfortable with the offense, and and Kyle Shanahan's opening up the playbook a little bit more. And he's it, give the guy credit. I mean, he's not he's not afraid to take shots. Like he on the on the the Carlos Hyde run early on in the game, like he was out there throwing blocks. Like he he's definitely earned the respect of his teammates. We've earned he's earned the respect of of coaching and management, obviously. So I think that CJ Beathard has kind of cemented his status on this team i think he's he's going to be definitely be here as a backup but i i really think that he's he's going to be one of those guys that they that they will keep after this year because we know that they're going to get rid of a lot of guys after this year but i think that he's he's definitely going to stay now another guy i kind of want to talk about is is carlos hyde and you put a stat out earlier today on twitter where carlos hyde is actually on pace to catch just as many balls as Devontae freeman caught last year he doesn't have he's not gonna have as many yards or as many touchdowns but it's interesting that to see Carlos Hyde kind of uh, the game plan being 
kind of formed around Carlos Hyde and his skill set. And he wasn't really a pass catcher before this year. And credit to him for for honing his part of that part of his game. But it really seems out like they're they're focusing on making Carlos Hyde a centerpiece of this offense. It does, and and I talked last episode. I I wondered if when he stuck up for Bethard at the, at the end of um, the last game there, where he got thrown out, and Lynch came and you know said those encouraging words to him. I wondered if that was kind of the start of Carlos Hyde becoming more of a of a team leader, of Carlos Hyde becoming more of a focal point. Mm-hmm. And it's only one game, but it it kind of looked that way, and and he played really well. And and yeah, for the season as a whole, I don't think Shanahan's committed to the run as much as I would have liked him to. And I know some of that's been game dependent, but Hyde's been pretty good, and the Niners actually only six teams in the NFL have a higher yards per, higher yards per carry average than they do. So they are running the ball, and Hyde, look, he's he's proved that he can be a, a, a dual threat. Like you said, his numbers rival that of Devontae Freeman's um, averages with Kyle Shanahan. He's putting up the numbers. He's had some good moments. He doesn't have a lot around him. So I, I like that he's been the centerpiece of the offense, and I think he can be in the future. The only question for me is what kind of contract is he going to demand? Mm-hmm. I don't know that they're still going to resign him. Just if he's too expensive, I don't think they will. If they can come to a team-friendly deal, I really believe Shanahan is, is starting to, if, if he wasn't already a fan of Carlos Hyde, he's definitely becoming it. And, and he sees that, that Hyde can be the centerpiece of this offense. And Hyde has impressed me this year because I didn't know. You know, he, he'd been a little bit inconsistent until the end of last year when he, when he took off. So I didn't know what he was going to be. I didn't know that he was going to be able to handle the load. But I think he's done that, and and he played really well this past week, and and he looks every bit, you know, the part of a feature back, and then you have Breedes to change the pace. So we'll see what the future holds. We'll see what the next six games brings, and hopefully he can be with this team for a while because he, to me, he is getting acclimated with this offense, which is not an easy offense to get acclimated to in your first season. Yeah, and I think that anytime you can solve question marks on your roster, it's 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 a big deal, and they they have some guys that they can keep. Obviously, Pierre Garcon is one of them. Carlos Hyde is one of them. Jimmy Garoppolo is another one. Um, and, and the defense is littered with guys that are, that are going to stick around. But anytime you can eliminate an unknown, meaning like either drafting a guy, having to draft that position or having to bring somebody in as a free agent for that position, I think is a good thing because you know what you're getting now from Carlos Hyde. I feel like he's finally kind of had a chance to, to showcase his entire skill set and they can make a, a contract offer. And I think he should get a, a contract offer and I think he will but they can make a contract offer based off of his performance and not just his potential. Like we've, like we've been hearing about for the, the three, three years before this. So Al, it, you know, the offense was just, it, it just seemed like things were coming a lot easier to them. And one example is when, when Salad caught that touchdown, Bethard hit him over the middle and he was lined up against a linebacker. Like Bethard read that play extremely well. Like he, he found the match, the mismatch hit it. And then, Carlos Hyde did the rest and Marquise Goodwin had a, had a really nice block down the field to spring him. So it just seemed like they were kind of clicking for the first time all year. And uh, I, I kind of want to get your thoughts on whether you think that because they're clicking now, they're going to stick with CJ Beathard or are they going to play Jimmy Garoppolo after this bye week? My opinion is, is still what it has been in it. And I'm, I just think you need to get Garoppolo on the field. If Garoppolo is is brought in to be your franchise quarterback, and that's what it looks like is the situation, you got to play him when he's ready. And look, Beathard had a great game. He did. He he played really well. And did he earn another start? Yeah, he did. But if Jimmy Garoppolo is your future and you believe that he's the franchise and you think Beathard is going to be a very capable backup, 
you go with Garoppolo as soon as he's ready because the more experience that Garoppolo, Garoppolo gets this year, the quicker things are going to happen in 2018. So to, for me to sit him maybe a game or two later than you should have because, oh, we'll, we'll see Jay's playing well, it's just going to hurt the team moving forward. We kind of know what Beathard can be. And mm-hmm. at worst, he's going to be a capable backup. And and listen, he's going to take time to get better too. I mean, is it going to hurt CJ to sit? Sure, he's got to play. But if, if Garoppolo's the guy that you're banking on to be your franchise, your franchise quarterback has to be behind center. That's what I feel like. So if he's if Garoppolo's ready after the bye, he's got to play. That's my opinion. And you're going to play him against that defense, that Seattle yep. defense after the yep. bye? Yep. Oh, man. I, and I know, I know. Um, but to me, if he's ready, what, I mean, is that what you, you want to be afraid to put your franchise quarterback on the field? Yeah. You know, is that what we're is that what we're going to say? Oh, we want to be the franchise quarterback, but we don't want to put him in against Seattle. No, I want to see him play. Mm-hmm. You know, and even if listen, the season's law. You're not making the playoffs if you got to play Beathard for a little while and, and put Garoppolo in for a couple series just to get his feet wet. Okay, you know, do that. Having said that, I I, I would understand if they sat him out against Seattle because Beathard played well, and and you give him one more start, and then he doesn't have to go against that defense. But to me, if he's the franchise guy and he's the guy you want to be your stud guess what he's got to be the seahawks so mm-hmm. hey buddy you know let's throw your, you throw your feet in the fire and let's see what you got again that's just how i feel could i be wrong sure wouldn't be the first time but for me you know i i want to see him play and, and and let's see what he could do against you know the niners division rival yeah that's kind of the, the seahawks are the measuring stick and you make an interesting point that is the team to beat in the in the division right now and they will continue to be the team to be until someone knocks them off so we will get a little bit of a of a glimpse into what Jimmy Garoppolo has in terms of um, ability and and game management and things like that, maybe intangibles, because he clearly doesn't have the pieces around him that he's going to have in one or two years from now. But it'll it'll be a nice sort of litmus test for for him and his own skills to see what can you can you turn this water into wine? What can you do? What can you do with this this? 49ers roster that that is basically you know like a leaky dam that's had that's holes all over the place uh, so i i think that they'll probably you'll probably see jimmy garoppolo at some point if he's not starting in that game you'll definitely see him at some point but uh, i should i should also mention that that richard sherman for those of you who don't know richard sherman's out for the year with the with the torn achilles so that that secondary is really really hurting now and that's definitely going to make a difference they just signed brian mac uh, byron maxwell off the street uh, uh i think it was like two days ago so he was a f- former Seahawks cornerback. So they're really desperate for for defensive backs, and I think this might this may be a good time out for for Garoppolo to get in there against a kind of depleted Seattle defense and and maybe do something. Um, Let me. I'm sorry, not to interrupt you. Zane. I just want to make a point before I forget. Let's say Garoppolo goes and he plays and he throws four interceptions, right? And in mm-hmm. the defense blows him off the field. Okay, he still got to face Seattle's defense. He still got to see that defense. He still got to play against that defense. So maybe when he's playing against them next year, well, he saw some of these looks. Mm-hmm. Well, he saw what happened here. Well, he played this defense. So maybe it'll look like he's taking a step back now when it's really going to be two steps forward in, in, in the future. To me, it can only help him to get on the field and, and see what your division rival is going to bring at you. Just my yeah. opinion. Yeah, I mean, you, you only learn so much by holding a clipboard. So, right, right. Uh, or, I mean, now it's, it's an iPad. So, um, <laughs> <laughs> But I think that... that you know, I'm with you. I think that Jimmy Garoppolo is going to play. I think that he's going to he's going to be on the field. He's probably going to start. 
Kyle Shanahan hasn't committed to a quarterback beyond this week, which is kind of interesting to me, but I feel like CJ Beathard at the very least, he's at least earned a roster spot for next year for rookies coming into this league. If you're not a first round pick really your, your roster spots are kind of year to year. So I think CJ has kind of, kind of earned his spot on this team for, for years to come. So I don't, I don't think it's a bad scenario for him either. He gets to kind of learn behind, behind a starting quarterback and, and when his rookie contract runs out, either you know he, he can either stay with the 49ers or he can go somewhere else for a starting shot. But I, I think that the time is now to start Jimmy Garoppolo. You have two weeks in between. You have a, you have the bye week for him to to get into the playbook, and he's he's spending the bye week at, at actually he's spending the bye week at the team facility. So he's actually in town. He's not leaving town. He's going to be at the facility doing his homework. So I I feel like that kind of points to the fact that he he will be the starter against Seattle. Now I'm kind of switching gears to the defense. They man, they they played a really good game. And granted, the, the Giants' offense, they they were missing aside from Sterling Shepard, they're missing the other top two receivers, Odell Beck and Brandon Marshall. But they they played a really really solid game. And Ruben Foster, man, he was all over the field. Like this is his second game that he's completed without without getting injured. And he led the team in tackles. He had a tackle for loss. And that guy was was electric. And this is what I was hoping to see when they drafted him. And 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 we saw that. We did, and he already looks like you know a vet out there. I think they they made a good decision by not having him do the calls on defense. It, it didn't seem like he was ready to do that that first game. Um, so now he just gets to go out there and play, and and he looks you know he looks every bit as advertised, which is great because you want this guy to be the face of your defense, and it looks like he's headed that way. Mm-hmm. The two guys I was impressed with are guys who are trying to earn a spot for next year, and that was Adrian Colbert and Ronald Blair. Mm-hmm. Thought that. Both played extremely well. Colbert was flying all over the field. I don't remember the last time I got as excited as when he popped that receiver on third down on oh, the yeah. sidelines. Yeah. I mean, I stood up, you know, it, it, <laughs> and that kind of play is going to fire your team up. I don't remember mm-hmm. the last time I saw a 49er make a play like that that, that got me that excited. Mm-hmm. And then you look at Blair, too. Blair's played two games. He's already second on the team in sacks, you know, yeah. with those two sacks. And he showed that he can get to the quarterback in, in this game anyway. And that's what the 49ers need. So, he comes in and he's already making an impact and in, in, in a guy who's gets on the field and shows, listen, you know, I'm in the mix for 2018 too. And both of those guys played really strong games. Both of those guys can be huge role players on this team. And if a guy like Goldberg, I'm sorry, if a guy like uh, Colbert can be the free safety. And I know, unfortunately he broke his, his thumb and he's going to be out against Seattle, but if he gets back and shows that he can maybe compete to be the free safety, then maybe you can move Ward back to corner and they need help at corner. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it's, it's kind of a ripple effect, but those were two guys I was very impressed with. Yeah. And Adrian Colbert, by the way, for, for those of you listening, he was on the podcast earlier this year. So he's one of, obviously one of those guys that, that uh, we're, we're cheering for uh, as we cheer for, cheer for all liners, but extra for, for Adrian. But I, I, I am totally with you, Al. Like he, he set the tone in the defensive backfield. He took good angles of tackling. He was pretty good in coverage too. Like he, He's he's a really fast guy. He runs he runs, I believe it was a four two five forty. So he has that closing speed, and he has the ability to play safety. He 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 came from the U, and played he played safety at Miami. He's got the ability to play corner, but I really feel like he's a better safety. And we talked about this earlier this year. We talked about possibly flipping Jimmy Ward back to corner and putting Colbert back there at free safety. And and now because of injuries and and all the other stuff that's happened, but kudos to to Adrian for for making the best of that opportunity. And I think that. Uh, yeah, I think that you get, you keep you have to keep giving him a look back there because it doesn't matter that he was a seventh round pick. It, it matters that he can play, and the fact that you're getting 
meaningful reps for him in this situation is, is, is gold. And Ronald Blair was one of those guys that he won conference player of the year when he came out of college. So he had, he's kind of always had that ability, but he's never really had the chance to shine in, in that particular scheme. I don't think he was best suited for the three, four as a, as a defensive end. I feel like he's a, he's a much better four, three defensive end. And he's, and he showed that in the two games that he's played. So little glimpses of, of hope here and there and little glimpses of, the light at the end of the tunnel. And, and I think that this defense slowly, but surely will, will, will come together. I agree, especially with, you know, you got Solomon Thomas and, and tank Caradine coming back too. So I agree. Defense will slowly, but surely come together. Now in terms of the game balls um, on the field, I would give it to CJ Beathard um, just because it was a breakout game for him. But Zane, I'm going to get mine to Marquis Goodwin. And I'm sure most people know by now what happened to Marquis Goodwin, where um, he had the tragedy where his wife uh, lost the baby. Um, you know, not going to get into specific details. It's obviously a horrible, horrible tragedy. That you can't even imagine. And mm-hmm. how tough is this guy? How mentally strong is this guy? Mm-hmm. You know, how much of a support system must he have? He was able to go out and play and score an 83 yard touchdown. And I'm sure everyone saw how emotional he got. And talk about earning the respect of just to go out and do that. I mean, mm-hmm. I, I real, I really feel for him, you know, where he's on all the fans minds no one wants to go through anything like that, but what a, what a tremendous, amazing job by him to go out and put the grief behind him and go out and play and, and, and help his teammates and, and pick his teammates up. So, so Goodwin gets my, my game ball and, you know, prayers to his family for sure. Yeah. I, uh, man, it's just, when I heard about that, I was just, I, I was just so, so heartbroken for Marquise and, and, and his wife and his wife actually encouraged him to play. And, and obviously that's the worst tragedy you could go through as a parent. And he played through it and he played well and he scored a touchdown and it was just, it was, it was a really sad moment, but when he scored that touchdown, it was a really cool moment too. I I was, I was happy for him that for at least a little bit of time he could kind of get his mind off of it, but uh, it's just such a, such a sad story. And, and our thoughts and prayers are, are with Marquise and his family. And, um, you know, just the outpouring of support for him has been, has been so great. But um, Al, my, my game ball, um, you know, I got to give it to Ruben Foster and he's, he's been so good in the last two games. It didn't show as much last game, because the 49ers lost, but this, this week he was, he was flying around everywhere. Like he's, he's like you said, he's not calling plays on defense anymore. He's got the ability to kind of just not even think about the play call and just react. And I feel like he has that, that Patrick Willis, Navarro Bowman look about him where you just plug him in right away. He's a plug and play linebacker and he knows what he's doing both in coverage and in run support. So uh, he led the team in tackles, had a tackle for loss, um, and I'm, I'm just super excited. I'm super excited to see what he can do with more pieces around him, and he's one of those those cornerstone guys that we were talking about before the season that the 49ers needed. He's one of those cornerstone blue-chip players that they can build around, so Ruben Foster gets my game ball. Yeah, I agree. agree with that, too. That's another good pick. Um, he, he just looks, again, like I said, just looks as advertised, so... Definitely huge, definitely huge for him. Now, now, Zane, I know you mentioned to me too. You wanted to hit on um before before we sign off here something about Colin Coward. You texted me. You you want to rant about something here? Oh man, 
<laughs> so I, I don't know what you're talking about. So I can't wait to hear it. You texted, you sent me the text today. I'm like, all right, I'm just gonna let him go. I'm not even sure what he's talking about. So, oh man, yeah. So I originally posted this on on I, I retweeted what uh, what the, his show, whatever the heck is called. They, they they had tweeted something out. I retweeted it, and I'm like, this is all I'm gonna say about this. But you know what? I'm gonna say a little bit more on it because I think that people should know how I feel about this. And he, he was talking about comparing Russell Wilson to Steve Young. And they put a bunch of stats up where Russell Wilson was like completion percentage and quarterback rating and all this other crap that they put up. And they're like, oh, well, he's very comparable or better than Steve Young. And I'm like, are you kidding me? Steve Young, first of all, Steve Young didn't even have a regular starting gig aside from those, those, that, Tampa, that one year in Tampa Bay where he started. Didn't even have a regular starting gig until he was in his 30s. He was basically he was basically Brian Hoyer that stayed on one team and got his starting shot at 31. But the difference is is that he turned he parlayed that starting shot into a Hall of Fame career. And to compare I mean Russell Wilson's a good quarterback. I'm not going to take that away from him. He's he's a very good quarterback. He knows how to win, he knows how to make big plays. He knows how to he knows how to uh, improvise when a play breaks down, but he's nothing close to Steve Young. I'm sorry. Like it's the, the statistics are, are, are not telling of the actual reality. Steve Young played in a, he played in an era where you could hit the quarterback and you can, you could rough the quarterback up. You could hit him in the head. You could hit him in the knees. Like now you can't hit him in the knees. You can't hit him in the head. All the rules are game are, are slanted towards passing. So everybody's going to have big passing stats. So if you put Steve Young in, in today's era, I'm sure he would put up the same stats. So, you know, it was just like a foolish, really foolish thing to say. And Colin Coward's a Seahawk fan, so I'm not, I'm not surprised that he said that. But it was just such a foolish thing to say. And the worst part is people were agreeing with it. That was the worst part. I mean, how can you agree with such an asinine statement? Steve Young, he came in, and the first year he was starting full-time, he won the MVP. And then what did he do the next year? He won the MVP again. What did he do the next year? He won the Super Bowl and the Super Bowl MVP. It's like, uh, you can't, you can't compare like that sort of output with a guy who has only one Super Bowl win and threw a pick to, to lose the next Super Bowl. So it's just, you know, Russell Wilson may get there. He may not. But I mean, I said on Twitter, I'm like, you know, let's see Russell Wilson do it without an elite defense bailing him out and then come talk to me. We're talking about a guy in Russell Wilson who in the Super Bowl set the record for least completions in a half against the Patriots. I mean, Steve Young never did that in the Super Bowl, in the one Super Bowl that he played. So, it, it, you know, if you want to compare, compare the entire body of work. Don't just cherry pick stats and be like, oh, well, they're similar in these areas. So therefore, A is better than B. So, I mean, that just, that just got to me because I'm like, you know what? And I'm not even saying this as a 49ers fan. I'm saying this as a football person who who's, understands the history of football. Like, you can't compare quarterbacks that easily from different eras and, and come up with a conclusion. It's just, it's just ridiculous. If, go check out Steve Young's stats on Pro Football Reference. He was dominant from 1991 through 1997. He was the highest rated passer in the NFL every year, but one mm-hmm. highest rated passer every year, but one. That's how yeah. dominant Steve Young was. His touchdown percentage was the highest in the league from 1992 to 1994. Um, he led the league in yards per attempt from 1991 through 1994. He led the league in touchdown passes in 1992 through 1994. Uh, he had the highest completion percentage in the league every year, but one from 1992 to 1997. Um, he was statistically and on the field one of the best QBs of all time. The only thing that keeps Young 
from being really on the Mount Mount Rushmore of these guys is that he started late. He didn't really become a full-time starter until he was 31 years old. So mm-hmm. his peak was basically what, seven years or whatever it was. If he, and obviously he was playing behind the best of all time, but if he had a 10 year career, career, a 15 year career, he probably would have had multiple Super Bowls. His yeah. stats would have been insane. And you look at the era that he played in to put up the numbers that he put up in those years. If you look at what that is now, it's crazy. You know, Steve Young was throwing 35 touchdown passes in 1994, 29 in 1993. Those were enormous numbers for back then. He was throwing for 4,000 yards in 1993. Those are big numbers for back then. So, yeah, that's kind of comical. But people, yeah, people don't pay any attention and they get caught up in these things. And Russell Wilson's a really good player, but he yes. had that. It's, it's, it's funny because I'm sure you saw the pass that he threw in the last game on Thursday night when he ran all over the place and threw off mm-hmm. his back foot and Baldwin caught it. And that will go down as one of the plays of the year. And if the defensive back timed the jump right, that's one of the bonehead plays of the year. It is. Yeah. It's, that's how that stuff works. So he does make these plays and he makes them. I'm not taking it away from him. He makes the plays. Um, but he does all this stuff and a lot of it, you know, he kind of pulls some of it out of his rear end and you're like, oh my God, did you see that? And you're like, yeah, if the defender actually timed the jump, that's a pick six. That would have been awful, mm-hmm. you know? So, but yeah, he's, he's really good. He, he's won a Super Bowl. His defense carried him to Super Bowl the first year, but second year, you know, a lot of that was Wilson. Mm-hmm. Um, but he is playing with a dominant defense. And that changes a lot of it too. So let's see Wilson's body of work before we start comparing him to Steve Young because Wilson's still working on that body of work. But to me as a passer, not even close, not even yeah. close Wilson compared to Young. You put Steve Young in this era, come on. Yeah. Come on. Yeah. Come on. So, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. but yeah, I don't know. Now I'm fired up saying. <laughs> yeah, I got you. I got you fired up. So I, you got you got to wait a week till, till the 49ers play Seattle. But yeah, I just to just kind of finish up on this point. It, Colin Coward was talking about is Russell Wilson underrated as far as skill goes. Honestly speaking, Al, it doesn't take a lot of skills to run around and throw the ball up for grabs and hope pray that your guy catches it. To me, that's not skill. Like that's just, that's just athletic ability, but like skill is reading a defense to me from the quarterback position, reading a defense, knowing, having pocket presence, knowing when to run, hitting your guys in stride, having the ball on target. It's not just about, the off schedule plays. It's about your whole kind of arsenal of skills that you have. And that one skill, I would say that yes, Russell Wilson is elite in that one skill and in off schedule plays and, and making something out of nothing. He is, he is definitely elite, if not the best in the league, but you have to look at the entire body of work. So Colin coward, get the heck out of here with that, man. Like, you know, I, I, that's, that's all I'm gonna say about that. I mean, that's, that's just ridiculous. Yeah, yeah. Some of these, some of these hot takes or whatever, whatever they call them, are just just unbelievable. But it, Coward's kind of a clown, right? Isn't yeah. he? Isn't that kind of his thing where he just says things that are just like crazy? Yeah, and then and then and then dummies like me have to respond to that, right? So I think he did. I yeah. guess he did his job, right? I guess he's doing his job. Yeah, I guess we're wasting time talking about it. So yeah, exactly. But I don't um, I don't know. next week we got we got a bye week, and we'll be doing a a game preview of the the Seahawks game, uh, which is the next 49ers game that's at home in two weeks. So, um, you know, like hopefully the 49ers can get some sort of, I don't know who's going to be starting a quarterback, but hopefully the 49ers can get some sort of progress in that game. Cause the, the Seahawks have owned the Niners for the last few years. Yeah, definitely uh, going to be interesting to see what happens with the quarterback position, um, whether it's going to be Beathard or Garoppolo um, in, in the way Shanahan goes with that. And I want to see how this team comes out and plays against a, a tough Seattle team. Yep. Yep. We'll have that and a lot more for you guys. So until then, this is Zane Nackby for Al Sacco, and you've been listening to the 49ers Web Zone No Huddle Podcast. See ya. See ya.